Let's stand. Change my heart, O oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God, may I be like you. Like the eagle, 
and I will soar with you. Your spirit leads me on in the power of your love. Lord, unveil my eyes. Let me see your face to face the knowledge of your love as you live in me. Lord, renew my mind as your will unfolds in my life, in living every day. By the power of your love, Let your love surround me, bring me near, draw me to your side, and as I wait, I'll rise up like the soar with you. Your spirit leads me on in the power of your love. I will soar with you. Your spirit leads me on in the power of your offering this morning goes for North American Division Adventist Communication Services. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all that you have given us, and I ask that you would bless the funds that we give. Uh, may they help to spread the, the gospel to the people here in our country and in our, our division. Uh, for I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalms 51, verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Good morning, dear family. It's good to see each of you here this morning and welcome to those who are online as well as we worship together and participate 
in communion today. And I want to begin this morning um, with a story that happened many, many years ago. Um, I was a student missionary in Micronesia. And uh, Micronesia at the time in the 19, early 1980s was not necessarily a very up-and-coming um, nation. I mean, they were still pretty backwards, and most people didn't have refrigerators, and most people still had dinner on their floor. And so it was quite a fun experience to be a student missionary in those days in the, uh, on the island of Ponape. And actually, that's where I met Debbie, was during that year as a student missionary. So this story took place that year um, on, the, on the island of Ponape. So um, one day I was invited, myself and Bill Roberts, some of you know Bill Roberts, Pastor Bill, um, we were invited to uh, some dear friend's house for dinner. And this was not unusual, we had been to their house many times, and they would always kind of customarily, it was their custom that they do not eat with you. They always serve you, they watch and talk with you as you eat their food, and then after we eat, then they'll have some food. But that was just their custom. And uh, so on that particular day we were eating, I don't know who else was there, but Bill was there and I was there, and we were eating, on, sitting on their floor having dinner and stuff, and um, they said, you know, that we we're talking about different kinds of foods that they're starting to get on the island, and one of them was cottage cheese. And they were so excited that they got cottage cheese. And I never had a taste for cottage cheese. I just didn't like it as a kid. And so, uh, but Bill got quite excited. And I was surprised. And he goes, oh, I love cottage cheese. I miss cottage cheese. That sounds so good, and they got so excited. So they walked over, and they got the, the little thing of cottage cheese, and they opened it up, and they, would you like, oh, I would like a lot of cottage cheese. And so Bill, they scooped a nice big thing of cottage cheese on his plate, and of course for me, there was no temptation. I did not like cottage cheese. And so Bill was quite excited about this newfound flavor that he could experience there on the islands where there is no refrigerator. And so Bill just dipped his fork in and just put a nice big stuffing of cottage cheese, rancid cottage cheese, into his mouth. I began to watch Bill as he squirmed, as his face started changing a little bit and as he he worked that down into his gullet it was no temptation for me and of course I didn't like cottage cheese anyway but finally he swallowed it and then he <coughs> coughed a little bit and said uh, I, 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 I don't think that that's good anymore I think it's spoiled they said, really? He said, yes, it needs to be kept in a refrigerator. And by this time, he's asking for a glass of water. He's having a hard time and this rancid taste in his mouth. And their reply back was, 
Well, we didn't like it that much either, but we're, we're learning to start liking it. We're trying to acquire a taste for it. We've had it for about a week now. A week, yeah. I think Bill was sick after that for a little bit. When I came home, sometime thereafter, I tried some fresh cottage cheese on a potato. And I thought, wow, this stuff is actually quite good. Now, I try not to eat too much of it because it is a fattening thing, but cottage cheese actually is pretty good. But unlike Bill, I've never tried it his way. But occasionally, once in a while, I'll tease him. Would you like some cottage cheese, Bill? The miracle of Christ is that in our own lives, he can change our tastes. He can change our tastes. So that actually what appeared at one time as distasteful and not we don't like it, can actually can motivate our very lives. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we want to be open vessels for our hearts to be changed by you. And we recognize, Lord, that we live in a very secular, worldly place. And so we come before you, the gracious God of creation and the merciful God of salvation. We come to you today to receive your sweet spirit in our life so that you may do the change necessary that we might shine like stars in the universe. For your glory we pray in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn to a few scriptures with me. We'll start in the New Testament. It's a small little book, Colossians. You'll find it right after Philippians. Colossians chapter 1. I believe that Christ provides the the deepest answers to the most private questions that we might wrestle with. And in Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 27, the Bible says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mysteries, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That phraseology of Paul, Christ in you, is seen over and over and over again in his writings. It's really what Jesus was talking about when he talked about how the, 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 the branch is connected to the vine, how our lives are connected to the and strengthened when Jesus Christ is in us. It is the key that unlocks a satisfied Christian walk. Christ in you. Christ dwelling in you. Christ convicting you. Christ strengthening you and equipping you. We even know that the Bible promises that when we are in the valley of temptation, that Christ in you is our only hope for deliverance from that temptation. The Bible tells us that Jesus suffered himself when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus does not invite us to come to him and then leave us. When he invites us to him, he enters in us so that he can do something with us 
for his glory and for his honor. It goes on, Paul would say in Colossians 28 and 29, we proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And then Paul would say, to this end I labor struggling, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. You can almost see the dynamics Paul is experiencing when Jesus comes in, the struggle that Christ does in him with all Christ's energy powerfully works in him. Now we know that Christ, when leaving the disciples, promised the Holy Spirit. The Spirit caused those early disciples to testify boldly about their Lord. You know, you think of the change that happened with Peter there at that little fire when Jesus was being tried and a servant girl accused Peter of knowing Christ, and he denied it. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Afterwards, when the Spirit invaded Peter, Peter spoke boldly for Christ without any apology that you killed the living God of heaven, the Creator. Peter was very bold and unstoppable. The Spirit made them worthy vessels of suffering for the kingdom. The Spirit taught them how to, to live a life of love, devotion, and commitment to the Word of God. I love the promise in 1 John, which you find close to Revelation, 1 John chapter 3, in verse 24, the Bible says, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So when we ask Jesus in our life, what we're asking is for his Holy Spirit that he gives us to live in us so that he might work through us so that he might contact others because of us. We're, we become a vessel, a tool for the kingdom of God. What a privilege. When we read the scriptures, Christ dwelling in us it changes us into an active influencing of the Spirit. And I believe, dear family, very, very seriously, I believe that there are only two spirits in this world. Only two. There is the spirit of the enemy that wants to destroy, kill, and plunder. And there is the sweet spirit of God that wants to cast value and love and hope to an anxious, dying world. Only two spirits. Ephesians chapter 3 you can go back, it's right beside Colossians, so it's not too far away from where we just, in a moment, we were. Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible says, and, and this is again almost like a prayer of, of Paul when he wrote this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You, 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 again, you see this drumbeat of Christ in you. And then he says this, and these are the results of Christ dwelling in us. 
so that you may be rooted and established in love, and you may be, have power together with all those other saints who have Christ living in them to grasp, understand, experience how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. Amen? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, think about that, that sentence for the second. Think about that sentence. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's a knowing that surpasses knowledge. It is otherworldly. It is spiritual. It is only by the hand of God that we accept it and experience it, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If communion, which is what we're going to be celebrating today, is, is valuable for anything, it's, it's valuable because we recommit our working and our striving and our convictions to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, often, often when I've had Bible studies with people and I talk about the Holy Sabbath, I, um, if, the, if the individual is coming from a secular background... I have, I'll be honest, I have a very difficult time explaining holiness because holiness is otherworldly. Holiness is not what we're normally used to, right? I mean, we, we, we use words like holy matrimony, but what does that mean anymore, right? People run off with other people because there's nothing holy about matrimony anymore, And so how does one understand holiness? I'm reminded of Isaiah when he, says to, he said to the Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among, among people of unclean lips. That describes us. Everywhere around us is not just secularism. It is filth, filth it is dirtiness, it is unholiness. Everywhere we look in this materialistic society, Words and jokes that are coarse and foul. How do we explain a holy God, a holy Bible, a holy day? Sometimes I'll, I'll explain it like this. If you're a mother and you're holding for the first time that innocent little baby, there's something so sacred about that baby. There's innocence. God in his majestic majesty is innocent beyond innocent. Holy beyond holy. And he allows us to participate with things of his culture, his nature, and it's outside of our nature. When we think of communion, communion is a holy ordinance. It's outside of what we're used to. And so it's so easy for us to make it either traditional or secular just to get through it when we miss the point that this is a reunion time with our hearts, with the King of Heaven, so that holiness can invade our lives. So... What's the best way to understand holiness? 
let holiness move inside. The best way to understand holiness is not to make it up, not to work for it, is to invite holiness to come inside. And let holiness change us from the inside out. The only way a desire can become holy is that the impulse of the Holy Spirit will strive with us. And once holy moves in, we look at the world differently. We look at other people differently. We actually can look at an enemy differently, right? Because holy has moved in, and it's not our common self. It's not our normal self. It's not something we make up. It's something that God can do surgically to us so that our words, our actions, our thoughts are different. I can think of no better scripture to highlight this need of conversion and cleansing than that of Psalms 51. David had chosen the route of allowing temptation to become a sin. David, King David, had not only allowed temptation to become a sin, but that sin would elevate itself until he needed to kill the husband. David had failed miserably. His kingdom would experience the rot of his own heart. And David, in his sorrow, after being confronted by Nathan the prophet, David spoke these words, Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David continues, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Isn't that beautiful? What a testimony, what a prayer. David recognized that without God in his life, pursuing his own human Temptations and once caused brokenness in his own heart and departure of the spirit. And I want to just ask my family this morning, if there is something in your life that is getting in between God's presence and your life, something that is putting up a wall, maybe it's an anger, maybe it's some type of secret sin, some type of private decision, whatever it is, this is the time to come before God and say, cleanse me, renew me, and let me experience the joy of your salvation. I love how Paul finishes that chapter when he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. So Paul, uh, David doesn't say, then I will teach transgressors how wrong they are. 
No, he just says, I'm going I'm to talk about you, what you have done for me. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. So today, today we are doing something in 2023 that our Lord and Savior instructed us to do thousands of years ago. You know the story. He does something that just doesn't seem right. The master kneels down to his disciples and does what the servant should do. He washes the disciples' feet. And then he tells the disciples, you would do well if you do this. What's the point? One of those things those disciples struggled with, and it's the same thing we struggle with, and that is a haughty and prideful spirit. We all struggle with that. Well, I'm not as bad as that person, or I'm not as, I don't do at least what that person does. And the point is that we are all crippled by sin, all in need of a Savior. So we come as even to the cross of Christ and by washing one another's feet, what we're experiencing is, I want to be a servant of God to you. And I want to be a servant of God to others. I, there's a gentleman I've become friends with out on the street. His name is Otter. And um, some of you might remember or know Otter. He is a Native American gentleman. He struggles with alcohol. And he comes every Tuesday to our 12-step regeneration but we see him out there on the street as well. And usually when I give people hugs, I just give them a nice big hug and let him go, but not with Otter. When I give Otter a hug, he holds me. He holds me. We hold each other. Love you, Otter. Love you too, Pastor Jay. And you know, it's a beautiful thing to recognize that from the perspective of God, whether I'm a pastor or a president, or whether I'm an alcoholic on the street, God looks at me as his child. We're all the same. We're, he's, he's leveled the playing field. And that's a beautiful thing that we can all experience with the, with the foot washing. And then we can come in here and enjoy the breaking of the bread, the broken body of Jesus, the, the spilt blood that Jesus shed for us. So today this holy, sacred, this God-ordained ordinance is once again our opportunity to experience His holy presence convicting us of our sins and cleansing us so that when we leave from this place, we can leave with that sense of the joy, the restoring of the joy of His salvation. Amen? That's what I want to leave with today. Let's just bow our heads for prayer. Our precious Lord Jesus, thank you for being such a merciful, gracious, patient, loving God. There's not one of us in here that deserves you. There's not one of us in here that will even deserve salvation. But you've extended it to the lowest of the low. 
And so we come to you with our sins. We come to you with our garbage. We come to you with our secrets. For they all are known to you. And we ask you, Jesus, to cleanse us and purify our hearts so that we might experience the joy and the peace and the beauty of your salvation. So as we go forth from this place to participate in foot washing, may you just make it a sacred opportunity that we would humble our hearts before you and others in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this time, we're going to depart real quickly to the back. There's a place for the women 